This is the Frontier Podcast, powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. CEO and President Becky O started her career as an Apple chip designer and quickly realized she wanted a bigger view of how her products played into the broader business. She took a role in field application engineering and thus began her journey into business development, which she continued to advance until joining P&I Corporation when the now global sensor company was in its startup phase. P&I has advanced its position under Becky's leadership into a global player in the smart edge and IoT sectors. Becky and Ledge discuss the path new network technologies take to adoption, when your competitors are your friends, and how to form fruitful alliances that create a rising tide for all companies in the space. So the listeners won't know this, but you are dialing in from across the world in Turkey. So that it's super cool. I just wanted to point that out that technology is amazing. And since we're on a technology podcast, um, would you, if you don't mind, give a two or three minute, you know, kind of introduction of yourself and your work and how you got where you are and and what you're working on. Sure, sure. Well, thanks for having me. Yes, it's late here in Turkey, but yes, thanks to technology, we can connect all around the world here. Um, So my name is Becky O and I am currently the CEO of PNI Sensor, excuse me. And um, I actually started out as an electrical engineer working for Apple Computer and um, then moved on to being an FAE over at Synopsys. And I just wanted to get a little bit more involved and kind of have a bigger picture of, you know, how I could contribute to, you know, a company or technology or products. And so I ended up joining a company where a couple of my friends had started it, and that happened to be PNI Sensor Corporation. And at that time, you know, we were making compasses. And, you know, right now everyone thinks, well, you know, there's compasses in mobile phones. And so it seems like a very simple thing, but we actually had to develop the sensor, the magnetic sensor to be able to do it. So we kind of went from having to develop the actual sensing element and creating an end-to-end product, you know, where we actually had the case, the hardware, the PCB and the software to create an electronic compass. And so we've always had this um, notion that we needed to create kind of the end application for sensors for it to really have any meaning to anyone. So um, that's kind of, you know, where we are. Yeah. So, okay. You run a global sensor company that's 30 years old. You've seen a lot of things, you know, so, and, and I think, you know, this, this idea of, you know, IOT is so new, right. You're probably like, no, we've been doing this forever, you know, but I don't know. Just tell that, tell that story a little bit, you know, how like everything, I don't know, the name has changed, but you've kind of been there, done that. And, what have you learned along the way? Yeah, so, you know, IoT is kind of the big thing for the next growth of sensors. You know, I would say the explosion of sensors was in the mobile phones. You know, it was hard to find um, anyone that understood what sensors did. But after the mobile phones really took on gyros, excels, and magnetic sensors, there was a lot better understanding of it. And as sensor companies, we kind of look at, well, what's the next growth? Automotive obviously will have a lot of sensors in it, and that would get connected to the cloud, but also have a lot of intelligence on the device itself. And, you know, that's what we all call as smart edge products. Um, But, you know, the other piece of it that kind of we look at is, 
What are the devices that are not part of an automotive, that's not part of a mobile device, that are not part of wearables, that need to get connected to the cloud, right? Because there, then you can do a lot more processing of the edge devices, as well as having smart edge products. So, um, you know, that's, so we're, we're just now, we've, we've had to, you know, being in the business for 30 years, you know, we started off kind of in the military side, developing digital compasses to developing compasses in cars, and then even selling products to Walmart and Costco as a finished product. And then, you know, we looked at kind of where else we needed to do sensors. And so we did sensor fusion algorithms for uh, for mobile phones. So any type of motion tracking, any rotation of the screen on sensors, we did a lot of that. And then when we looked um, at, at where we needed to focus our company now, we looked at IoT. And again, obviously, we want to contribute into the automotive market as well as the mobile. But what I find very interesting is, you know, how are we going to create devices that will connect to the cloud and be part of an IoT system. And so our latest product you know, happens to use our magnetic sensor is a parking sensor. And so as a parking sensor, how do you connect that now to the cloud without having you know, to use a lot of power? Um, you know, parking sensors have to be buried in the ground. So you can't um, just you know, pull these things out and put a new one in every, you know, every month or so, or even you can't even try to recharge these things. So how do you optimize that? So one of the things that we've seen in the market that's coming out as part of the ecosystem building out the IoT sensors is something called um, LPWAN, which is Low Power Wide Area Network. And so there, what I've been seeing is how is this all going to really be built out? Because if the network's not there, then we can't connect to it. Um, it's not like Wi-Fi where it's burning a lot of power. So, you know, and it's not cellular because that burns a lot of power. So it's this new network technology that's supposed to be very optimized for long range as well as for sensors. And so now we're kind of in this chicken and egg. If the network's not there, we can't connect. If the network's there and there aren't any devices, it's not very interesting at all. Right. Yeah. So that's I mean, kind of um, yeah. that obviously. Yeah. And that's the. That's sort of the adoption problem with like a, you know, sort of a dependent two-sided technology, right? It's like, you know, who bought the first fax machine? Um, and so how, yeah, how do you address that? I mean, it must take, I almost imagine there's, there's got to be like a lot of like cross industry leadership and discussion that you must have to be engaged with to move things along like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun because, you know, that's when you have um, your competitors are actually your friends, right? Because it's all about building out this whole ecosystem. And so luckily um, a lot of these um, individuals that had been previously in the telecom industry, so we call them telcos, um, they came together and realized, well, you know what, there is this IOT and this network has to be built out. So, they saw an opportunity there and created alliances. So one of the alliances that we belong to is called the LoRa Alliance. And, and they, what they decided to do was make this certain protocol open source. And, and um, since it became open source, this whole protocol and how to build out the stack and, and such, you know, a lot of the big players kind of got behind it. One of it is um, ARM. So there's um, the Things Network, 
which is an open source. They allow you to, they give you everything to build out your own network. You can actually be your own network provider. Um, and you know, since it's since it's kind of open source and it's free, it's a little bit like crowdsourcing network. So for instance, we're, we're a network provider of TTN in Santa Rosa. So we have a gateway up on our building and anyone that wants to connect to it just asks us and we allow them to connect to it. So, you know, having a company like, like an arm, um, you know, supporting it and really basically promoting it really helps. Being open source helps. The other companies that's actually kind of jumped into that whole thing is Comcast. So they have a division called MachineQ who provides this LoRa network service as well. So it's still, you know, it still has, <laughs> we still have to kind of build it out, but at least, um, you know, it's this time where, uh, the building out process is actually very interesting. And like I said, it's a fun time because all your competitors are kind of your friends. And so even though they might be a competitor, they're really trying to help you. So I think it's actually a kind of fun time to do this. Right. It's like everybody needs Main Street to be a street before you can build stores on it and compete with each other. So <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so it it makes me think, I know everybody, maybe this is sort of a newbie question for, for your space, but you know, everybody is crowing on and on about 5G and how that is going to be the most important connective tissue and everything's going to go online because of that. What I'm hearing from you is there's actually, you know, sort of this lower power other network layer that potentially could be, you know, even more impactful. Is that true? Yeah, I, you know, I actually think they're all going to coexist. Um, the great thing about 5G is the fact that it would be ubiquitous. Although, you know, as you know, we don't have cellular connections everywhere, right? Um, and there's going to be limitations. Every, you know, technology has its pros and cons. So 5G, yeah, right, you've got all these big um, companies, you know, pushing for it. And the telcos are really out there getting these up. But that means that you have to pay for the data, Right. Um, and, you know, the RF does burn a lot more power. So some things just are not going to be able to use it. Um, they say they're going to have micro, you know, um, I guess transmitters and so repeaters and whatnot to enable a lot more connectivity. But, you know, that's to be seen. And, and it'll take time to build out, right? So the thing about um, the LoRa and LPWAN, which is Low Power Wide Area Network, um, is because it is open source and you can have, it doesn't have to cost you to send data up to it. And so I think there's going to be certain applications where, you know, you don't want to use 5G. You want to use a private LoRa network where the network is actually free. Uh, and that allows kind of low cost devices to transmit a lot of data up to the cloud as well. So I think it's just going to be a combination of things. Um yeah. So, yeah. And we say free, but I mean, obviously there's like network equipment and it's plugged in, right. And there's data transfer going on. So I mean, yeah. somebody bears the cost of that, you know, sort of data pipeline in, in one way or another. Right. Right. So you can think of it as, um, you know, Wi-Fi. So if you're running Wi-Fi in the end, you do have to connect to the backhaul, but, um, you know, you can, you don't have to necessarily pay for Wi-Fi. Some, you know, like if you put, if you have Wi-Fi in your house, you're not paying for your Wi-Fi service. You're, you're paying for internet connectivity, right? 
Um, but if you're running Wi-Fi in your office, you know, you may want to have your IT department hook it up so you have, you know, more better coverage, you know, you have security. So in that sense, it's not free, but you're not paying for data within your sure. company to use Wi-Fi, right? Sort of like unmetered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you create these devices, um, you know, talk about the, the power issues, because like I said, you're, you're burying it in the ground and it needs to run, you know, essentially forever. Um, it has, has battery technology come along enough that, you know, and, and when do the rest of us get this? Because I know we all want it. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's a couple of things. Yes, battery technology has gotten a lot better. You still have to kind of manage your uh, power consumption properly. Um, one thing about um, LoRa, for instance, it's not meant for like live streaming a video or even audio. Um, it's and because it is a, it is meant to be a public network, you don't want to be jamming it up either. So there are like limitations as how much data you can send, right? So that you're not jamming up the whole airwave. Um, and so to transmit some information is not a lot. Um, that's kind of why it's a, it's good for sensors. Um, so for instance, like if you, even if you had like a temperature sensor or a water meter, um, you're not sending data constantly. You might be sending it maybe twice a day, maybe only once a day. And so even like water meters, you don't want to be changing. So you can effectively have like three AAA lithium batteries last you over 10 years. And at about 10 years, you know, batteries itself aren't rated to last over 10 years anyhow. So you can maximize the life of it. Um, but we're not we're not talking about like coin cell batteries, you know, rechargeable batteries that go on your wearables, for instance, right? You are talking about something that's going to be like three AA size batteries. Um, but on, you know, gauges and on something like a parking sensor that goes in the ground, you can't afford to have a little bigger size batteries. So let me shift gears to uh, you know CEO role, right? Um, you came out of an engineering background, at least you know at the beginning, right? And I'm I wonder, you know, paint the picture for me of you know sort of rising from engineer to you know senior executive. You know, many times you see an engineering background, you know, kind of rise maybe to the CTO level if there's that desire for. Um, you know, leadership position. CEO is that sort of other totally different side of, of the world. Can you talk about your journey there and what was important? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, lo I love tech, but I guess I think um, I always wanted to see kind of the bigger picture. So when I was working at Apple, um, I was a chip designer. So I kind of got it. I could do my piece of it really well, but I wanted to be, have a little bit bigger role, right? And um, there aren't that many computer architects, you know, you're not going to be the computer architect that's designing the next computer. Um, so I just wanted to um, have a broader view of what technology could do. And so at that time, we were using Synopsys tools to do, um, do the ASIC design. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe if I get in more towards sales and marketing, maybe I could see a bigger picture of technology. So instead of just, you know, dropping right into sales or something, I, I took a role as a field application engineer. And that was actually probably what was very enlightening for me to see all the different types of engineers out there, 
designing um, ASICs and for the different type of products that they were designing for. So that got me kind of excited. But then I also wanted to not be just part of um, just um, selling just bits and pieces. But I, again, I still wanted to kind of have the larger picture. And it happened that um, a couple of my friends had started PNI Sensor. And um, I had asked them, hey, can I just help you guys out? Because I just want to get a better feel for what it takes to build products um, from, you know, soup to nuts and and also understand the business side of it. So I, I happened to join um, PNI. And when I went there, I said, well, what do you guys want me to do there? They were about a 20 person company at that time. And they said, well, I don't know, but can you just figure it out? So um, I kind of looked around and I said, well, you know, I think there's this thing called operations. Maybe I can try that. So that's kind of where I really got um, an overview of not just the design piece of it, but there is a purchasing piece. There's the process piece of uh, making things. And, you know, in operations, sometimes you just have to kind of jump in and do customer service. And I think that's kind of where I saw the business side of it a lot more. It's usually, you know, you're always trying to serve the end customer. And I, I, to me, the most important role in a CEO is to know your customers. And so I think that really gave me um, being in operations and having to just jump in and doing customer service got me in touch with the customers which and then having kind of the technology background and understanding the customers enables you to do a lot of business development. And so actually, you know, if I were to choose a role, I think biz, business development is probably the most fun of all, right? Because, you know, you're not really tied to having to meet all your numbers like salespeople, but, you, you know, if you have a technology background and you want to understand the market, then BizDev really gets you to see a lot of different applications that your technology can be used at. And then you're sitting there trying to think, how can we make it all work for the customer who's looking for a certain thing? And can we adopt our technology to meet um, the customer's needs? So that's a kind of a fun puzzle that kind of crosses between technology and business. And, you know, I think that's probably the most fun role. Um, CEOs, you know, you have to meet, you know, make sure you meet the payroll, you have finances, you know, all of that thing that you have to kind of look at all the time. But BizDev, you know, is kind of the ideal world I think a technologist could have. Yeah. And I think when I hear you describe that, you know, in, in our world, there's a new sort of, I don't want to say new, but people are starting to pay attention to what, what we call developer relations. And developer relations is, you know, when, when you're customers and users and, you know, so all the critical pieces kind of in your ecosystem for BizDev are all very technical. You kind of need that. And it, it also, you know, in a larger company would be something like a sales or solutions engineering. And you're absolutely right. And it's not tied to, a, not often tied to a, a quota system, but it's tied to, you know, like that big picture that ties marketing and product and sales all together with that technical lens. And yeah, I imagine you have to do all that and more when you're then up, up in the higher seat of, um, tying all the functions together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I CEO role, you know, the piece that I hate doing the most is obviously the finance piece of it, right? You always have to look at the numbers, make sure your team's meeting the numbers. Um, you got to balance that with, you know, your budgets and whatnot. And so sometimes you don't get to do the fun piece of it, which is the product development piece, at least from a technology technologist point of view, right? You always want to be creating something and then trying to figure out how that, fits in with kind of what the uh, your customers are looking for. 
And I think technology always, right? You're not selling commodity products, not always, right? You as technologists and technology companies, especially if you're not a large company, we're kind of, we're a small company. So where we're going to bring value is creating something new. And the, you know, which is fun from a technologist point of view and from an engineering point of view, but it's difficult from a sales point of view. So that's where biz dev is really important, right? Because it's, you're trying to create a new business for a new technology that you've right, created. Right. And you're trying to convince everyone that this is going to bring value. It's like category them. defining, which means you kind of have to pave the way for everybody to even understand that your thing existed in the first place and why they need it. Yeah. Right. Um, also, I think in the CEO role, you're you're sort of the primary arbiter of of company culture, and which is not typically a thing that would rise out of you know engineering, unless you're a, like a super technical sort of engineering company. Um, maybe spend a minute talking about that and how you have to to think about organizing culture in with you know operations and tech and you know finance and all the things that that you do. Yeah, you know, and I think um, engineers need to be able to be creative, um, you know, and I think, um, you know, it, it really depends on what type of company you're working for, right? I kind of look at it as um, you can be a technology company, but you can be more of what I consider as a manufacturing company, which means you're more concerned about making things low cost and, you know, really streamlining the process. And I think some that I consider that more of a kind of technology operational brain like people um, that really want to get super efficient. And then, um, but if you want to create kind of new technology, um, you have to have a culture where it's very free form and creative. So, um, you know, we've always been, again, you know, when you're smaller or when you're, you're a startup, that's what you have to focus on, right? Is being creative and making the best of something that's really not even sometimes not mm -hmm. even existent. Right. Um, and so our co comp company culture has always been very flexible. Um, you know, engineers, we don't have any like, you know, set time they're supposed to be in. It's just supposed to get what you're supposed to get done because it's not like if you're there nine to five, you're going to be right. more productive. It may be that you need to kind of, you know, go off and do something. And then at, um, 10 p.m. you're going to get really cranking on your <laughs> right. idea, right? So yeah, definitely company culture and knowing kind of what your end product is and how you need to direct um, your engineers, I think is important. Yeah, absolutely. I love that, you know, you're thinking about that creativity because we hear that time and again from, from engineers that, you know, it's just uh, they, yes, okay, we need to bill hours, but it's like not about being, you know, hours butts in the seat, you know, that they're going to, they're going to want to be creative and, go for a walk or, you know, play ping pong or whatever, like, cause they're background processing algorithms or whatever they need to do, you know, for the design. And that's often where those, you know, creative breakthroughs come from. Okay. So awesome stuff. I'm going to totally shift gears now. And uh, this is the lightning round. Okay. Critically important stuff. Are, are you ready? Sure. All right. Star Wars or Star Trek? Um, Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Um, what are you reading right now? Wow. You know, I have, I have, you know, what I only get to read like the wall street journal or the New York times. I haven't read a book in a while right now, but I'm listening to, um, what is that? Listening to a podcast. 
um, what was it? The you know about those downfall of the Shah. Yeah, it's uh, the fall of the the um, Shah from Iran. So BBC podcast. Wow. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. I happen to be listening to a podcast course about ancient China, so uh, I can totally relate. Um, okay, what can't you live without? Wow. Well, can I? I can't live without my dogs. How's that? <laughs> nice. Lovely. Good answer. What is the last thing that you Googled for work? Oh, Google for work. Oh, geez. I don't know. Do you know what you Googled for work? I, it's always about podcast stuff for me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you don't have to Google for work anymore. Like we should all aspire to that. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll get you a free pass if you don't know. I actually don't know. It was probably something about um, defense industry since I'm in Turkey at, at attending this thing called IDEF, which mm -hmm. has a lot of today they had a lot of generals walking around looking at all these, uh, you know, big guns and missiles and tanks. And, you know, it was a little scary, but it was kind of cool. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. I don't know if you're a fan of The Office. There is a classic episode of The Office where Jim is messing with Dwight. Dwight is like the office heel, you know, and and he's sending him faxes from future Dwight. He's messing with them. He's saying that coffee is poisoned and all that. Um, so I like to say, okay, you know, if I give you one piece of paper and one of those big, thick, black Sharpies, you know, what would you write on the paper and if you're future Becky, you get to send a fax back to 10 years ago, Becky, what would you write on the piece of paper? Take more time. Um, and it's okay not to be perfect. <laughs> so I know there's, the, and there's always a story behind these answers. So what, why do you, why do you say those things? Oh, I think um, a lot of times we get so wrapped up on trying to do it right. Um, and, you know, I think when I look back, some of the stuff that I get so uptight about trying to get right, probably, you know, I didn't need to spend so much energy on that. You know, you only have so much energy you can spend on things. And I think um, when you're young, you just feel like everything's important. You just want to get everything right. Um, and I think we spend too much time in that and kind of miss the big picture. Um, I think when you take a little bit more time, uh, and kind of clear your mind a bit, then I think um, you can be a lot more creative and strategic. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.